This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. I'm Isabel Harbin, I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Well, it's quite a depressing uh, news agenda today in Westminster. We have um, the ongoing allegations that someone watched pornography in the House of Commons chamber, allegations from a female Labour MP claiming that a member of the Shadow Cabinet described her as a secret weapon because men want to sleep with her, and uh, Labour MP Liam Byrne being suspended from the Commons for two days uh, after being found to have bullied a former member of staff. Not a great day for the image of Westminster. And the Attorney General, Suella Braverman, has been talking about this on Women's Hour today. Here's what she had to say. I'm not aware of the details, but over the last 24 hours, I keep running through my mind how and why someone would be so brazen, as you say, so reckless, so stupid, so... Uh, appallingly badly behaved to be watching porn in the workplace in broad daylight in the presence of colleagues what would possess them it's totally unacceptable and the the group of women that we're talking about from this meeting um it's, it's largely anonymous and in this case we don't know who the women are who've reported this one of whom is reported to be a uh, a member of the cabinet actually but why do you think uh, female mps are, are so afraid to speak out on this under their own name I've been a member of parliament now for nearly seven years. I've been in the Conservative Party and in politics for 20 years. My personal experience, I have to say, is that on no occasion have I been made to feel uncomfortable. And all the men that I've worked with have been respectful, courteous and supportive. There is, however, a very small minority of men, and it is men, who fall short. And there are some bad apples who are out of order, who behave like animals and are bringing parliament into disrepute, to be honest. So I don't think we should be uh, saying there's a pervasive culture. That's not my experience. There are certain individuals who are behaving in an unacceptable way. I think it's very good that we have now an independent process instigated by Dame Andrea Ledson. It's very robust. It's uh, transparent. It has a lot of rigour and it will uh, provide an avenue of redress for uh, complainants. Katie, her wider point is that actually this is a wider problem with society. Do you think that holds or is there a specific problem with Westminster? So I think there can be a wider problem with society, but it doesn't mean the problem with Westminster is not is not something that should be looked at. And actually, you look at her comments. Um, I mean, for example, the currently anonymous Tory MP accused of watching porn in the Commons chamber she says that she was ashamed that that MP wore a conservative rosette and I think the general sense is there is clearly a wider discussion to be had about sexism misogyny in society but it always gets back to the point which is the people you would expect to behave the best uh, tend to be elected politicians people who lead the country and therefore even if Westminster is just as bad as the rest of the country, that doesn't mean it's not a problem. And some people would say, actually, Westminster is worse. And it was interesting hearing Ben Wallace on the radio this morning talking about how, you know, the culture of Westminster was part of the issue here. The fact that people go out together, they 
uh, MPs in Parliament go to Parliament bars. Ben Wallace highlighted the fact that in Westminster, much of this is actually the work culture. And I, I think Ben Wallace, like many, have also been part of that. Like, you have to see it to therefore understand it. And therefore, where does this go? I think we're in an interesting situation, which is it does feel as low, as we talked about in the podcast yesterday, there is another Westminster general conversation that is gaining ground. I think in terms of finding out who the MP who apparently watched porn, and so for that will carry on. But you do get the sense that this is that everything is starting to fit a wider narrative. And actually, you can say it's similar to the rest of the country, but it feels as though we are going through a period where actually sleaze in Parliament is starting to feel a lot more topical and have a much bigger focus on it. James, one of the dispiriting things is we have been here before quite recently and we will doubtless have this debate again in a year a few months time what is possible to change now what are there discussions underway about what the parties might be able to do to crack down on this or whether there's something that boris johnson can do or say to show he has zero tolerance of his mps watching porn in the house of commons chamber well first of all if it is genuinely identified who this mp is they should clearly lose the Conservative Party whip immediately. I think they also should be subject to disciplinary procedures, and I think that their constituents should be offered them a chance to recall them. Uh, Leaving aside how um, disgusting it is, they're clearly not paying attention to their job. I think in nearly any job in the land, if someone was found to be watching pornography while at work, you know, they would be they would be sacked or subject to very strict disciplinary action. And the same thing should happen here. I think in terms of what can change the culture. I think to to be mildly hopeful, something already has slightly improved the culture, and that is more female MPs. You know, you talk to people who were some of the first women in Parliament, you know, whether that be as MPs or as reporters, and things were much worse then than they are now. So things have got better. They are clearly not nowhere near better enough. And so I think I think more I think more female MPs would improve things. I think that there is also, but I also think that you can't get round the fact that people have to take responsibility for their own behaviour, and that needs to improve. And I think also political parties need to stop seeing these things in terms of oh disciplinary movements then also related to who's going to vote which way. And then you've got, you've got a situation where you've got two MPs who have now been found by courts to have, to have done terrible things, who were readmitted to the Conservative Party uh, in the hours before confidence vote in Theresa May's leadership. And I think this is... And so I think th- th- all of these things need to change. But I, also, but I think ultimately you can't get around the fact that people need to take responsibility for their own behaviour... And I think that one thing that needs to happen is that people need to realise that the standards of behaviour that are required, I don't think it should need to be made clear to people, but it clearly does need to be made clear to people. And and then I think you also come back to this other problem, which is that there is no... There is no proper HR at Westminster at all. The Whip's office is still caught somewhere between... Sandhurst and an HR department. It doesn't quite know which one it is. And its obligations are also obviously 
political as well as pastoral, and this causes all sorts of confusions and leads to these things being wound together. And so I think you know, I think all of these things need to be sorted out. And I, but, but I think one of the things that is very difficult again is you come back to the fact that MPs employ their own staff because you know their staff work for them because. MPs are representatives of their constituents before they're members of a political party. And I, and I think that, you know, there is much to be said for that recommendation, but it also makes managing HR very difficult because in some ways you have 650 small businesses operating on the same premises and, and all sorts of difficult issues, which is, you know, someone might work for one person but have a difficult run-in with somebody else who is senior but 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 different, and that that is causing problems too but you know all of these things I think need to be taken into account and then I think also just just Ben Wallace said this this morning and I think there is some truth to this that some of the changes to working hours to making them more family friendly have also helped improve things a bit I think that you know Westminster needs to take a long hard look at the general culture but the most important thing is that people raise their own standards of behavior. Katie when he wasn't giving colleagues advice on when it was appropriate to be drinking. Ben Wallace was this morning also talking about Russia and Ukraine. And on Coffee House today, you've uh, been writing about Liz Truss's speech uh, at Mansion House, where she has also been talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Just to explain to us what she has said. So there are various aspects of this keynote, the Mansion House speech, but I think in terms of the immediate, her comments on the war in Ukraine... There is a sense, I think, increasing in government this war is going to go on for a very long time. So I would say a month or so ago, people were talking about peace talks, perhaps finding, you know, an off-ramp that would mean that you came to a resolution. And now that talk has pretty much gone away. And I think from Liz Truss's comments, which is this idea that actually Putin and Russia need to get completely out of Ukraine. Now, it suggests that there is no room for negotiation and that this is going to go on for a long time, five, ten years potentially. And Ben Wallace on the radio this morning was backing Liz Truss up in this. But when it was put to him, does this mean that the UK stance is also, for example, that places like Crimea, so places that were invaded before this year, were also saying Russia needs to leave Lees. He said, yes. Now, in a way, that isn't a massive change of policy, but I do think if you just look at the tone of the comments, there is a sense that the government is saying Putin must fail. There can be no easy win for Putin. And you do start to see that this is um, a war which has no end in sight. I think the other interesting thing, looking at Liz Truss's comments, was just in terms of where foreign policy is going, she was talking about, how there has to be a, a deeper economic underpinning to foreign policy. So you look at the Integrated Review. Now, the Integrated Review correctly identified Russia as the most hostile actor. But I think where the Foreign Office want to go next is to try and use trade deals and, and generally um, the economy to strengthen ties, not just with current Western allies, but also bringing in other countries into the into the orbit of the West. So you have a situation where you will have your aggressors, but for example, a country like Indonesia or Saudi Arabia, they don't fit the definition of a liberal democracy, but you can bring them in, um, free trade, and that would um, boost defence. So I think that is what they're trying to do. I think as James discussed previously, this obviously raises issues. We've seen with the US that whether the least willing to go is trade. Um, but 
that starts to sketch out what Liz Truss is trying to do as foreign secretary. I thought one very striking part of Liz Truss's speech was when she talked about the lessons the West must learn from Ukraine. And one of them was that democracies like Taiwan must have the ability to defend themselves. This raises one of the big questions, which is, you know, looking at Ukraine now and the US proposing, you know, $20 billion of weapons support to Ukraine, it clearly would have been better with the benefit of hindsight if Ukraine had had access to this level of weaponry before Russia invaded. Russia might well not have attempted the risk of invading if it if, if it had known if it had seen the strength of, of, of the Ukrainian military. I mean Truss's state link there to Taiwan suggests some serious thought that is being given in, in Washington, London, Tokyo, Canberra, to essentially pre-arming Taiwan, deterrence by denial essentially, by essentially saying to the Chinese, you will not be able to take Taiwan. So don't attempt to invade it. And that, I think, is, is growing as a school of thought. The, the question is, the risk with that is, if you're going to do that kind of deterrence by denial, arming of Taiwan, you need to do it very rapidly. Because the danger is, if you start and do this slowly, the Chinese will think, well, we've got a window and it's closing, we've got to act now. And so I think that this is, this is one of the big questions the West is going to face about that. I also think, just to pick up on one of Katie's other points, there is an interesting question here, which is how committed is the entirety of the Western alliance to pushing Russia out of Crimea? Crimea is obviously in uh, international law, in the views of the, the EU, the US, every NATO member state, Ukrainian territory. But the Russians have also annexed it and, and, fought, and incorporated it into Russia itself. I mean, if you got to a situation where the Ukrainians were saying we wish to use Western arms and Western supplies to go into Crimea, to retake Crimea. I think there are some Western countries that, I mean, who would think, well, hang on a second. Do we, really, do we want to be doing something that Vladimir Putin would consider to be an invasion of Russia being done by Ukrainian forces armed and equipped by the West? So I think Crimea is going to be a sticking point, but it comes back to this point uh, that, that Katie was making, which is, you know, at what point... Will Vladimir Putin come to, to the negotiating table? But at that time, and there was that, that brief flurry of optimism about the talks in Turkey, how far they were getting, you know, all that has died away. The Israelis who were trying to act as intermediaries between the Russians and the Ukrainians are now taking part in a meeting about how best to arm Ukraine. So, you know, I, I think getting to a negotiating table is difficult. I think even, but, but I think it is worth remembering that, that even Zelensky had previously suggested that Crimea is an independent state neither neither Russian nor Crimean, what, what was a possible solution. So I think we are maybe looking at, at something like that. But I think, I think if we got to a stage where Ukrainian forces were actively going into Crimea rather than just striking targets in Crimea to try and disrupt Russian logistics, then I think that, then I think that, that, that would be something that would cause some fraying of the Western unity that we've seen on display so far. And finally, Katie, you've got an interview with Nadine Dorries, which is in the magazine and on your Women With Balls podcast. Tell us more. Yes, so this has been um, picked up in various outlets today, which is ultimately, Nadine Doris talks about many things, so everyone listening should also listen to the full episode, which is available 
on all podcast stores, also www.spectator.co.uk forward slash balls. But I think the most newsy element of it is ultimately her talking about the BBC. Now, we already knew Nadine Doris wanted to clamp down on the BBC, has questioned its partiality, has also um, questioned the licence fee model. And what she says is that the licence fee model is completely outdated. And she says, we are going to very soon announce that we're going to be looking very seriously about how we fund the BBC well ahead of the Charter of Renewal in 2027. Now, I think what this means is that is obviously after the next election. Therefore, you can expect the Tories to come out with a new funding model for the BBC ahead of the next election. So that is something to look for in terms of they will only be able to really change the licence fee if they win a fifth term. But I think in terms of shaping and discussing what they really plan to change, um, we're going to be hearing from that fairly soon. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.